0: Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis.
1: Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome in to a big, big, big soccer morning here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Thank you very much for joining us as always. It is going to be one of those shows today that you're going to want to listen to once or twice or three times just to make sure you pick up on all of the nuance, all of the incredible information that will become that will come spewing out of whatever speakers you use, be they tiny speakers that fit in your ears, big speakers that sit in your car doors or wherever, actual giant speakers like the one Michael J. Fox uses in the beginning of Back to the Future. Maybe that's how you listen to the show. But you're going to want to check this show out a couple of times. <laughs> I just have a feeling on this program today, Sam Kelly from down in Argentina to talk a little Copa America because we have one finalist booked. Chile is in the final. Tonight, Argentina and Paraguay in the other semi with a berth in the final on the line. Uh, We checked in with Sam several times over the course of this tournament. Excellent insight from him as always. We'll get to that in just a couple minutes. And then following Sam's appearance, Mr. Kevin Kincaid from Philadelphia, CBS 3's Kevin Kincaid, who in response to Nick Sakevich's appearance on the Sirius XM version of Soccer Morning yesterday, went on a fairly epic, blistering, uh, destructive, uh, just a, a rant to end all rants last night to set some things straight. So we'll get to Kevin. Who will give you all of that in audio form? We'll dig in. Some of this stuff Kevin said before. I just want to make sure people understand that this isn't necessarily new stuff from Kevin Kincaid. He put it all in one spot, he let it all go at once. But he said some of these things on this show before, and I'm sure in other public forums. Now he'll have an opportunity to directly, uh, directly respond to those comments from Nick Sakevich. If you haven't heard that audio, we do have a SoundCloud. A uh, quick, uh, quick hit SoundCloud version. It's not the entire interview, but it is a lot of it. And I believe the Philly Soccer page has uh, has put up a transcript of the uh, of the interview with Nick Szcavage. Let's get into some news here before we get to Mister Kelly and Zot Copa America on a Tuesday. I mentioned Copa America. Chile beats ten man Peru two one uh, to advance the Copa final. Uh, Eduardo Vargas with the winner, and quite a winner it was. But Peru fought gamely. They lost uh they lost a man twenty minutes in. I don't really know if that red card is uh, debatable. You put your studs in a, in a player's back and an opponent's back, and you're probably gonna end up getting sent off. As I mentioned tonight, the other semi Argentina and Paraguay. The Paraguay coach has offered his players pickup trucks if they beat Argentina. Ramon Diaz. Did I promise the squad something? Ask the players. They've already won two. We've already won two pickups off him, and we're going for a third, said striker Edgar Benitez. (laughs) So apparently the man just owes trucks everywhere to all of his players. Goose Hitting's contract uh, was terminated by the Dutch FA yesterday. One year of leadership under Goose uh, Goose Hitting did not uh, deliver results for the Netherlands. He beat Latvia last month, or sorry, this month, after the United States beat uh, the Dutch in, uh, in Amsterdam, a game I'm sure you don't need any reminders of. Uh, so Goose moves on, and the Dutch FA moves on. We'll see where they turn to next. U.S. Women's National Team, huge match, semifinal, Women's World Cup tonight. Germany, this is, uh, this is the one, this is the game that will test the Americans' resolve, their quality, they attempt to lift their first World Cup trophy since 1999. A lot of pressure on the U.S. Germany a very good side. Although the Germans were certainly um, certainly second best to France for most of that match in that quarterfinal. While the U.S.A. pretty much dominated China despite a 1-0 scoreline. So this game should throw up quite the battle. We'll see how Jill Ellis handles her lineup choices with Megan Rapino and Lauren Holiday both available in the aftermath of the best game the U.S. has played, with Morgan Bryan um, on the field, with uh, Tobin Heath on the field, with Kelly O'Hara on the field. This news broke yesterday, making some waves in the American soccer community. Crossfire, a youth club in Washington where DeAndre Yedlin spent four years developing as a player before joining the Seattle Sounders Academy. Is, uh, has petitioned FIFA and written a letter to the executive committee requesting uh, the solidarity payments they're due under the FIFA, uh, the FIFA guidelines. Now, this is the potential to blow up an issue that has been simmering in American soccer for quite some time, and that is the issue of training compensation and solidarity payments. Both uh, Levy Bird from Sports Illustrated and Jorge Arangure from Vice Sports have written up this story sort of fascinated by the PR push here by Crossfire. They've they've put it out there. These two stories dropped essentially at the same time, so somebody's coordinating something to get the word out. Lots of questions around this. We're going to dig into this a little deeper on the serious show where we have some more time. MLS and U.S. Soccer have refused to, uh, to pay training compensation or to receive training compensation for their clubs. Um, where why they, they don't do this and what the potential legal encumbrances are is a little complicated. I've, uh, I've read Leave You Bird's piece and it goes in depth into the the excuses used. There's apparently some mysterious document that uh, that MLS claims uh, bars them from being required to pay. Training compensation and solidarity payments. So it's uh, it's a thing that we'll keep an eye on as this moves forward. And as I, as I said, uh, both Levy Bird and one, uh, and sorry, Jorge uh, Aaron Guré have, have stories on this. And we actually have Levy Bird scheduled to appear on the Sirius XM version of Soccer Morning if you have a subscription. Uh, last but not least, the U.S. Open Cup returns tonight. Four games on the schedule, four games tomorrow. And I've got a bracket. I think that's a good thing to do, right? We've got we're at the point now where there's no more draws for next the next round. This is a straight bracket situation with your final sixteen. So I'm gonna run through some of these real quick, give you my bracket, and I'll tweet it out and you can share it. And uh perhaps uh, fill one out yourself, put it up there, hashtag it. I know the guys over at US Soccer and, and the cup dot us will love this. Red Bulls Cosmos, I'm going for the mild upset. New York Cosmos to win at Red Bull Arena. Can't pick chalk everywhere. Philadelphia Union, D.C. United. I got D.C. in that one. Coming out of that match. they the or at the Union tonight. Chicago Fire, Charlotte Independence. I would love to pick the Independence to take another MLS scout, but I'm going to take the Fire at home. Orlando City and Columbus. I'm taking Orlando City. This is the, I will call that the, the east side of the bracket. The west side of the bracket. Sporting Kansas City and FC Dallas. I'm taking Sporting. Houston Dynamo. Colorado Rapids. Taking the Dynamo there. RSL and the Timbers. I got the Timbers winning on the road. San Jose and the Quakes. I'm sorry, San Jose and the Galaxy. I'm taking the Quakes. Uh, in the next round, that, that'll be your quarterfinal round. I got DC United over the Cosmos. Orlando over the Fire, Sporting over Houston, San Jose over t- over Portland, uh, Sporting Kansas City to beat San Jose in the West Final, I guess the Western Semi, the Eastern Semi, DC United over Orlando, DC United in Sporting in the final and Sporting Kansas City to lift the U.S. Open Cup in 2015. Bracket time. It's fun. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll grab our friend Sam Kelly from down in Buenos Aires and we'll talk some Copa America. Let's do that. Be right back. For your
2: family. the, the you too loud.
1: The best way to watch Copa America and the greatest players in the world, including Leo Messi, Neymar, James Rodriguez, and Alexi Sanchez, is on Sling International's exclusive broadcast of Copa America on BN Sport. Sling TV is the number one live international TV service in the United States. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch every single Copa America game live or on demand featuring Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, Chile, Uruguay and more. Plus, Sling International gives you access to Barca TV, Real Madrid TV, the New York Cosmos, Syria and more top networks offered by Sling TV. There's no commitment, no annual contract and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss the best leagues in the world on Sling International. Sign up today at www.sling.com/soccer. Again, that's sling.com/soccer. This Sunday evening the Women's World Cup Final will determine who is the greatest team on the planet. Will it be the U.S. of A., Japan, Germany, or England that will be crowned champions? Whoever it'll be, I'd like to invite you to join my World Soccer Talk friends Carter Krishnire and Caitlin O'Connell on Rabble.tv for a real fan's perspective. With Rabble.tv, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on television Press the mute button, and then head over to Rabble.tv to listen to soccer fans sharing their analysis. And if you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app today and add a comment to the broadcast message board. Then listen live via the app on Sunday. So mark your calendars for Sunday, july fifth at six forty five PM Eastern, and celebrate the Women's World Cup final with Cardick and Caitlin live on Rabble.tv. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, talking a little Copa America 2015 with our friend Sam Kelly. Hasta el siempre, H-E-G-S underscore com on Twitter. Sam, how are you?
3: I'm good, thanks, Jason. How are you?
1: I'm well. Um, Chile into the final uh, by beating Peru last night. Thrilling match, 2-1 uh, Eduardo Vargas with the uh, absolute stunning goal to put Chile through. And uh, to be honest with you, Sam, I guess the, the surprising thing is the, the fight in Peru, given they were down a man for 70 minutes.
3: Yeah. Um, I was expecting Peru to give Chile a good game. Um, the red card for some after 20 minutes really changed that to, you know, changed that expectation, uh, very early on, but they kept themselves together and, uh, Kept a clear idea, let's say, of, of what they wanted to do in their heads, and it stood them in good stead. They got back into the game in the second half. Looked like they could have taken it to penalties for a while, or even snatched a winner. Because for most of the second half, they were very impressive. I thought
1: uh, certainly um, they certainly threatened Chile. Obviously, they got the goal, uh, the goal back to to equalise. And um, you know, despite the fact it was an own goal, Sam, they certainly earned it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. They they came out the second half. Flying out of the blocks and um, had already put in a couple of dangerous balls into the box and and seen uh, Carlos Bravo make a couple of good saves before um, that that counter attack, uh, as well as which I mean part of the reason that the own goal got scored was that there was somebody a, a Peruvian player waiting there to turn mm-hmm. it in um, had um, Gary Medell not not got to it himself unfortunately for him um, and diverted past Bravo so yeah I mean. Uh, and it went in although it was an own goal, as you say, Peru undoubtedly deserved it um and after that Chile had to step the game up further and, and they managed to
1: they certainly did um and in uh, as the, in the end, probably the better team but but let's again let's uh, let's maybe uh just encapsulate what Peru did in this tournament how they um how they showed you know the the, the style that they showed the the, the quality of the play. And you know, is that is this a, is this a sign of Peru's ascent within Carmavo?
3: It's always difficult to to tell with, with, with Coppas America. I mean Peru reached the semi-finals at the last Coppa as well. And of course in between they failed to qualify for the World Cup. And there's always that sort of nagging question, I guess, particularly to people outside of the continent, of is World Cup qualification more important? or a better indicator of of a team standing within CONMEBOL than the Copa America is. Um, It's one that's been exacerbated just this century by Dunga when when Brazil won the Copa America in 2007. He said that the real South American championship was the World Cup qualification Mm -hmm. table. Um, And and as a result, you 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 kind of have to look at, at... Peru, and also Venezuela, who put in some very impressive performances in the group stage, even though they, they went out, um, and and sort of say, well, does their impressive Copa America performance in 2011, followed by good showings this time around, um, mean that they're developing, or does the fact that they qu- failed to qualify for the World Cup in between mean that that's stalling, or, or what? And of course, they're two very different competitions. You have straight knockout um, neutral territory, one one match against each opponent against a two- to three-year mammoth qualification tournament of everybody else home and away, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think that by and large, Peru can, can, can take encouragement um, from what seems to be a, a very promising beginning to Ricardo Gareca's time in charge mm-hmm. um, and should be able to use this to build on, you, you, you would hope at least.
1: Uh, so we 'll we'll obviously watch Peru after this tournament is over when uh, when comabo begins that qualification process, but for the time being there 's still a champion to crown so Chile into the final uh, m- m- again m- this may not have been a foregone conclusion, but the way um, the way that the knockout rounds um, laid out it, the, the path was always there it would have been a disappointment so they 've they 've met expectations and they do- they 've done it with um, the the dual controversies of Vidal. Um, and and the 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 DUI and obviously um, uh, Chara and and the finger <laughs> the, that issue as well. Sam, um, is this a, a victory already for Chile, or is only winning the title going to do?
3: Well, it's the it's going to be the fifth time that Chile have finished in the top two of the copper, um, but they've never won it. Uh, Ninety nine years in, obviously not well. Yeah, I think nineteen ninety is into their participation as well because I think they they participated in the inaugural tournament, if I remember rightly, um, and and they they haven't ever won this trophy. So on home soil, with the draw in their favour, um, because it has been. I mean, whether that's through design, as a lot of uh, South Americans seem to think, or or through coincidence, the, the draw's been friendly to them. Um, I would say that they were always expecting to reach the final, um, hoping yes, aware that there were banana skins along the way potentially yes, but you know expecting to do so. Um, and they're going to face a tricky task, whoever they have, uh, whether it's it's Paraguay who have a wide wealth of of different plans up their sleeve and and have shown a lot of guts to get as far as they have, um, or an Argentina side who haven't played. Their best football so far, but obviously have talent in abundance. Um, should they manage to click, um, it's it's not going to be an easy one for Chile. And so, I think what they need to do is is put in a good showing in the final, regardless of the result, um, to you know to to impress basically. Um, and of course, what they want is the trophy. Um, I don't think that you, you could call it a a victorious tournament for them necessarily if they don't come away with that. Uh,
1: the, uh, again, again, come back to the, to the, uh, the issue with, uh, um, Hara, uh, the, the uh, there was an appeal filed by Chile. He's uh, had his suspension reduced to two games. That obviously doesn't do anything for this tournament, uh, but it means it means they'll have him back for, um, for qualification um, instead of having to wait one game for that. Uh, the the other side of this, um, Argentina and Paraguay, and you sort of laid out what, what Paraguay, not what they'll do, but the fact that they have many ways to approach um, what they will do. And Argentina, expectations are extremely high at this point with the now remaining three teams. They have to be, on paper, the favorite, uh, even if you give the home side a little advantage there. Um, in this semifinal, though, what does Paraguay do to try, try to stop uh, Lionel Messi and company?
3: It's a very tricky one to try and call because, of course, these two sides have already played each other in this tournament mm. um, in the opening—well, sorry, in their opening match, not the opening match of the tournament—and um, it was it was a crazy one. It, Argentina were two 0 up at half time with something like eighty three percent of the possession and just completely on top. Um Paraguay pulled it back and managed a 2-2 draw, helped by a pathetic Argentina performance in the second half. And so, on the one hand, you think, well, in theory, if Argentina performed for 90 minutes this time, surely they're favourites. But on the other hand, Paraguay have grown in confidence. They've shown that they're no pushovers. They've shown the spirit that they've got. Um, and that really makes means that it's balanced on a knife edge, combined with the fact, of course, that all of the pressure is now on Argentina. Um in that opening group game there's there's very little pressure. Obviously there's the pressure of wanting to perform for your country, but if you win, lose, or draw, you're neither through to the next round nor out. Um whereas this time round, obviously in, in the knockout stage, that, that very much is the case. Um and so Argentina's is perhaps Paraguay's biggest weapon in some ways. It it, it takes all of the pressure off them. They'll also Paraguay will, will have the I think the impression that that they caught the quarter final win over Brazil, the manner in which it came about, and the fact that it was so damaging for Brazil, particularly coming after just a year after last year's World Cup humiliation. Um I think the Paraguay are gonna possibly feel like, you know, that that again helps to take the pressure off the, their their quest to, to mm-hmm. impress. Has been um, achieved, and anything from this point on is a bonus, and that makes them very dangerous I think um, obviously Argentina should be favorites perhaps narrowly um, perhaps more than narrowly if they if, if their attack managers to click. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, it should be an interesting
1: match to watch. Uh, you know, and, and, and apparently Ramon Diaz using um, using some motivational tactics, which includes giving every player for Paraguay a pickup truck if they win this match. That's what I'm, I'm reading here at The Guardian. And apparently he already owes them all two pickup trucks for previous accomplishments. Uh, I, I mean, I find that funny. And, and there is a, a subplot here, obviously, with Tata Martino.
3: Yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Diaz, first of all, has is, is always had some interesting uh, motivational techniques throughout his club career as well. He's, of course, well-known to a lot of Argentina's players because he uh, has managed a, a number uh, three, in fact, of, of Argentina's big five, never mind any of the the, the other clubs that he's managed. River Plate, uh, San Lorenzo and Independiente. Um, and in River's case, he's the most successful manager in their history, um, which, given what a successful club they are, gives you some idea of of the, um, the, the stunning that he has in the South American game. Um, albeit obviously not so much outside the continent. Um, best known to, 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 uh, football fans in, in England, for instance, Oxford United's manager for a frankly bizarre period of a few months. (laughs) Um, and the Martino subplot is, is interesting as well. Of course, an Argentine who, who managed Paraguay to the final in the last Copa America. Um, and it's got a certain amount of pressure on him to improve performances now with Argentina. With Paraguay in 2011, he reached the the, the final on the back of five draws. Um, and obviously penalty shootout wins in, in the knockout stages um, before losing to Uruguay 3-0 in the 2011 final. And this time around, there's more pressure on him, both because Argentina are expected to get better results than Paraguay were, and because they're expected to play better football, and so martino has this uh, dual pressure of both needing to improve results and needing to to work out what's going wrong with Argentina's system at the moment because they were very impressive in the quarter final against colombia um but they couldn't get the ball in the net, and obviously finishing does play part a part in the performance as well um as as Lionel Messi and as tata martino both both identified in their their post match um Interviews and press conferences, um, and against a side like Paraguay, who have the discipline to defend well, albeit they didn't show it in their first match against Argentina of the tournament in the first half, um, it, it, it's not going to be an easy ask for them.
1: Uh, you know, just to go back to that 2011 performance by Paraguay, they they drew in the group stage. They drew with they drew with Brazil 2-2, and they drew with Venezuela 3-3. Every other match they played, they they failed to score, uh, which tells you something about the the run that they had uh, through the knockout rounds. They uh, beat Brazil on penalties. They beat Venezuela on penalties, and they end up in the final where they lose to Uruguay three uh, three nothing. As you said, um, let's uh, let's come to the, the the general picture of this tournament. Um, you know, we we do this with World Cups, not so much with Copa Americas, but the the notion of whether or not this is a successful tournament in the way that it's been organized and and the popularity and and certainly the play on the field where do all of those things fall for the perceptions at least where you are sam
3: the organization's a tricky one for me to comment on because of course i'm in buenos aires rather than in santiago um and, and and so there are a lot of aspects of the organization that i've not really seen for this tournament um but given the cloud that was hanging over Conmebol at the start of the championship. Is that a reference um,
1: to pollution in Santiago?
3: Well no, I was <laughs> more I was about the, uh, okay. the the FBI investigation that a lot of Conmebol officials are are or were central to that investigation. Yes. Um because of course a lot of it's centered around next year's potential cope in the United States. Um Given that that Colmebol was under something of a cloud at the start of the championship, I don't think it's been the the best of tournaments for them. Um, Mostly because, at least outside Chile, a lot of South Americans seem very suspicious about the officiating that the home side have been getting. Um, After what has looked ever since the group stage draw was made like a, a friendly draw for Chile... Um The host nation, who, as I say, have never won the copper uh Comibor, have given the impression that that they wanted to see Chile in the final all along um the fact, for instance that Argentina and Brazil both won their groups but then would have been pieced together in the semi final this year with Chile and the other half of the group is a change in tack um for Copa's America so far this century where Argentina and Brazil, if they both win their groups and then both progress don't meet until the final. Um, So that kind of thing all feeds into it. And then you have this stat that there have been seven red cards so far in this Copa America, and three of them have been given to players playing against Chile. Mm. Um, Zambrano's last night was, if you look at it as a yellow plus a yellow, I'm I'm just about understandable, maybe, although I thought the first yellow was, was rather harsh, but the second yellow wasn't given as a second yellow. It was given as a straight red. Mm which seems strange. Um, and and so it's kind of little things like that, which you maybe think that even, you know, that could well be an innocent mistake. Um, but people around the, the rest of the continent don't want to see it as an innocent mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, the organisation, from that point of view, um, perhaps has either been what everybody on the continent thinks it has been, or they've just been unlucky with perceptions. Well, it's,
1: that it's, sense. It's, it's it's an unfortunate situation. Well, I say unfortunate. It's of their own making, certainly. But it's because of the, uh, you know, everyone has been aware or at least uh, understands that fig- certain figures are taking advantage of the system and have been doing so for years. Then they get, there's actual action by the, the U.S. Uh, government now you can imagine that they're sitting there going, okay, let's let let us have a great Copa America, take some heat off our- ourselves. But they're also not the type of people who sit by and let that tournament play out with the hope that it's a good tournament and takes heat off of Comdable. They're the type of people who maybe slightly manipulate things, or at least we believe that they would do that.
3: Yeah, precisely. And, and of course, part of the, uh, the reason that this kind of thing comes up Part of it is that there is a history of it happening in South America, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in on the pitch, and part of it is is that the off pitch, the the non footballing history of this continent is one that makes people in Latin America deeply suspicious of authority um, and and so on, and, and that's fed into football on many occasions in and of itself. I mean, just look at the perceptions around Argentina's nineteen seventy eight World Cup win. Um, for, for an easy example, and Argentines remain suspicious of any World Cup that is won by the host nation. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can tell you that as an Englishman. Um, but even, you know, France 98, uh for for instance, they they're very suspicious of of any World Cup like that because, because of the perceptions around seventy eight yeah. um and and the military dictatorship you know certainly attempting to and, and quite possibly successfully attempting to uh, to to swing that World Cup um, the hosts' way, and so none of this really really helps uh, the organizers. When a it would appear that the organizers have got a, a fine track record corruption, and b everybody watching wants to see that corruption wherever they they can anyway. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. uh, let's uh, so I also asked um, you know I asked you about the the quality of the tournament. I don't think anybody's going to hold this up as. One of the best uh, Copa Americas of all time, and it hasn't even really given us as many surprises um, as we may be used to. Certainly, as 2011 did. Um, yeah. This, but we do have the opportunity, we or, or we have the possibility of seeing Chile, Argentina in the final. And if you had, if you had looked at the tournament before it, it began, you certainly could see this as being uh, a very possible final and and a very um intriguing final if if and i I know i'm getting ahead of myself here sam but i don't know if i'm gonna be able to talk to you before saturday if argentina gets past paraguay tonight and ends up in the final against chile how do you see that playing out and and is it potentially an entertaining an entertaining match are they going to try to stymie each other with some roughhouse tactics
3: i think that entertainment is is more likely um Given how both sides have set out so far, I think that Chile's style of play is going to, um, to suit Argentina to, to a large extent because we've seen that Argentina, when they play teams who, are, uh, who, who defend in a disciplined manner against them, have struggled to break them down. They've dominated possession and, and failed to really gain much penetration. Um, but in the quarterfinal against Colombia... Uh, who initially at least came out to try and attack them, it, it was a very different story. And Argentina overran them to the extent that, that Jose Pekum had to, to take off uh, to Gutierrez in order to bolster the midfield just 20 minutes in. Um, so I think that from that point of view, both sides' preferred game plans should suit the other side. Um And as a result, we should see Argentina coming out of their shells a bit more um or rather, being able to come out of their shells a bit more because it's not as if they haven't been trying. Um, but of course, we saw that in the quarterfinals. So a lot's going to depend on, on how sharp Argentina's finishing looks like, as well, from their point of view. Um, and for Chile, the sort of niggliness is is um, is in the game still for them. Always that that, that desire to um, to intimidate the opponents and, and to rough them up a little bit. I think that. Um, Argentina's players are, are going to be perhaps a little bit more used to that than mm-hmm. than some of the players that that uh, Chile have already played um, in the tournament. Um, and you know, having having said that, Chile look to bend the rules wherever they can during this Copa America. I don't think that that's any news to anybody. I don't think it's a controversial statement to make. But also, it it shouldn't be forgotten that as you say, they can play good football as well. Um, and so I, I think that it should be, that there is the potential certainly for, for flashpoints points, um, but it should be a decent match. Uh, of course, as long as Argentina come through tonight and it could be hugely affected by um, by any, let's say, perhaps friendly officiating this evening in, mm. in lots of people's uh, uh, perceptions as well, because Javier Mascherano, Sergio Aguero and Lionel Messi are all one booking away from being suspended for the final. Ooh. Um so if any of those three get a contentious uh, yellow card this evening, then uh, I'm not going to say the fix is in, wow. but, you know, you heard it here first.
1: Wow. Uh, yeah, certainly Argentina has to, to take the game to Paraguay and beat Paraguay. I mean, that, that that is the first step. But, I mean, I think we've all sort of imagined a, a final that involves Argentina. And, and very quickly, Sam, before I let you go, big players, legendary players step up in big matches. Uh, we know that the stigma for Lionel Messi, is that he is an amazing club player but doesn't always bring all of that to Argentina. We've seen him do it. I'm not saying that he hasn't shown up, uh, but he's still being dogged by this notion that he hasn't won anything yet. Is is this the time? Is this the moment tonight and a potential final on Saturday?
3: I think in Argentina, at least, that that notion has... Uh, it's not been completely wiped away, but, but it's been um, largely... Uh, but by the wayside Good. since last year's World Cup, when of course they didn't win, but but Messi very much stepped up and mm-hmm. arguably was the only attacking player. I don't think actually, arguably, no, he was the only attacking player um, for Argentina who who really showed anything like his, his potential, and and that's helped to um, uh, still to, to to shut the critics up somewhat from that point of view inside Argentina. Um, but undoubtedly, even if if one believes that that you don't actually need a an international trophy to measure a player's greatness, which, which happens to be, you know, what I think. Uh, I'm, I'm not convinced that six or seven matches
1: no, um, yeah,
3: in you. the middle of the <laughs> year off-season is, is quite the same way to, to judge his career. But even if you think that, Messi himself, I suspect, very much does judge himself by that standard, rightly or wrongly. Um, so he's going to be desperate for for the copper win, of course. Yeah, and and a lot of Argentines would, would love to see him him manage it mm.
1: fascinating stuff sam kelly h e g s underscore com on twitter you should be following him all the time but especially during copa america and tonight argentina paraguay thank you very much for the time as always sam i appreciate it
3: thanks for having me jason talk to right. you soon.
1: let's take a break when we come back we will talk to kevin kincaid from cbs in philadelphia his thoughts on nick Sakevich's comments yesterday don't go anywhere be right back The best way to watch Copa America and the greatest players in the world, including Leo Messi, Neymar, James Rodriguez, and Alexi Sanchez, is on Sling International's exclusive broadcast of Copa America on BN Sport. Sling TV is the number one live international TV service in the United States. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch every single Copa America game live or on demand featuring Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, Chile, Uruguay and more. Plus, Sling International gives you access to Barca TV, Real Madrid TV, the New York Cosmos, Syria and more top networks offered by Sling TV. There's no commitment, no annual contract and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss the best leagues in the world on Sling International. Sign up today at www.sling.com/soccer. Again, that's sling.com/soccer. This Sunday evening The Women's World Cup Final will determine who is the greatest team on the planet. Will it be the U.S. of A., Japan, Germany, or England that will be crowned champions? Whoever it'll be, I'd like to invite you to join my World Soccer Talk friends Carter Krishnire and Caitlin O'Connell on Rabble.tv for a real fan's perspective. With Rabble.tv, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on television Press the mute button and then head over to Rabble.tv to listen to soccer fans sharing their analysis. And if you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app today and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app on Sunday. So mark your calendars for Sunday, july fifth at six forty five PM Eastern and celebrate the Women's World Cup final with Cardick and Caitlin live on Rabble.tv.
0: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on
1: World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Feels like this song is appropriately bombastic for a little discussion. On a certain MLS team, the Mid-Atlantic region, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia Union on the mind uh, of Kevin Kincaid from CBS3 up in Philadelphia. How you doing, Kevin?
4: Jason, I'm good. Uh, how about yourself?
1: I, I'm well. It's been, it's been an interesting 24 hours or so. Um, for anybody who doesn't know the context of the discussion we're about to have, yesterday on Soccer Morning on Sirius XMFC, Channel 94, for those of you who have that service, Nick Sakevich joined me for a little discussion. Uh, it was a little tighter window than we would have liked. I'm going to give you some pull back the curtain stuff here, and, and hopefully, Kevin, you can bear with me. Uh, he mm-hmm. he didn't call in quite when we expected him to. It was a little late, so we were tight. Um, I, there were numerous topics I wanted to get to with Mister Szczechowicz, and who, by the way, I believe the club reached out and, and he uh, he wanted to to come on Soccer Morning and have a, a chat, and uh, we took him up on that offer. Uh, we hit on numerous topics, n- including uh, the, the, the high profile protest in- uh, with the coffin uh, a month ago, uh, the issue of Ryaz and uh, the issue of the financial wherewithal of the Philadelphia Union competing in a very, uh, in an MLS that has zoomed up in terms of, of spending. And uh, Kevin Kincaid, who's covered this team since the beginning, uh, decided to address these comments yesterday on Twitter. Kevin. Uh, We don't have to go line by line here, but, you know, do you want to take a topic and start there? Maybe let's let's dig into, I think, which is the 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 biggest issue for fans who want to see this team be able to compete on a a level playing field with their MLS contemporaries. And that's the financial wherewithal of the team. From your perspective, what you know, what issues do you take with the with the way that Nick Sikiewicz characterized things?
4: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I can speak on that. And we'll touch on the Dan Hawkins tweet a little bit later, if that's all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, now, you know what? Look, I, th- I think if, uh, to go a good starting point for that is you have to look at uh, where Jay Sugarman comes from. You know, the, the majority owner of the team, I-Star Financial, is the, the, the real estate, commercial real estate investment firm that drives his wealth and drives the wealth of the Philadelphia Union, basically, right? So I-Star Financial... Like I said last time I came on the show, you know, when the housing market collapsed back in 2007, 2008, 2009, whatever it was, when we were going through the recession, I, I wanted to say the iStar Financial stock uh, plummeted. I think I think it maxed down at one point like fifty-one dollars, something like that, and it went all the way down to God, I don't I don't know, like a dollar, two dollars, or something mm-hmm. like that before it mm-hmm. rebounded and came came back up about ten, eleven, twelve dollars. So I think right now the iStar Financial stock sits at around thirteen dollars, right? So, you know, again, you have a team that's Jay Sherman came down to that press conference in November of last year where he said, I put $100 million into this franchise. And so that had been five years in it. You take $100 million and you divide it by five, that's $20 million per year. Where is that money going? First of all, they still owe the state and the city, you know, taxes um, or the lump sum payment, the pilot, you know, payment in lieu of taxes. You know, you have lawyers that you were paying for the Peter Novak uh, lawsuit. Um, payroll, you know, uh, you know, parking taxes and other, you know, expenses and things like that, salaries for the front office people. So, you know, you're already eating up a huge chunk of that money before it even leaves Jay Sugarman's bank account, right? So I really don't know how much then left they have to put into player acquisition, mm-hmm. you know, designated player salaries. Youth development is another big thing. You know, that's a completely different tangent. You know, again, YSC Sports, where the where the high school and the academy is based, you know, that is, that is owned by Richie Graham and also by a guy named Charlie Dodds, who, you know, they had that building there. They expanded it. They made it bigger. They built a school across the street. And the majority of the money that goes into that is from Richie Graham and, and the Graham family, a couple of his brothers, his family members, are involved in that. And, you know, again, yes, he's an investor as part of Keystone Sports and Entertainment, which is Jay Sugarman, Nick Kevitch, and 11 other people. But it doesn't mean that all 13 people are putting an equal amount of money into youth development. So that's always been Richie Graham's project and his baby.
1: That's, uh, and that's uh, certainly um, a, a part of the issue with the way that Sikavich characterized things, and he did uh, as he did yesterday on the show. And I think that the perception that, that, that he's putting out there, or the, the perception people are taking uh, of Sikhevich at this point, is that he is attempting to to snow the whole situation. He's attempting to whitewash things or paper over the cracks and and not deal in those details. And... Before we move on to a couple other things, and, and specifically uh, the the protest and reaction there, which got the, mm-hmm. uh, the 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 most amount of anger online that I saw, would um, do, do you believe that it would be that he that he and Sugarman would be better served to be honest with the Philadelphia Union fans, or is it the wrong business decision? I'm not saying lying is the right thing, but the lo- the wrong business decision to put that out there when what that might do is undercut support for the team. I I am not saying that, that people aren't already upset, Kevin, but if you say flat out yeah. we don't have the money to compete, why are people going to show up?
4: Well, it's a lose lose situation, isn't it? I don't know how you I have no idea how you even approach that situation. But you know, Nick Sakevitch, people can say what they want to say about Nick Sakhevich, but he's had the fall had to fall on the sword for his majority owner. Yes. You know, right. for the last five years now. And uh, you know, Nick can sit up there and say, Yeah, we have the money, we have the money. He knows that Jay Sugarman doesn't have the money. To compete with a Toronto or a Los Angeles or Seattle, but you know it is it is what it is, and they've had some decent players that have come down here, but they're not going to be competitive, you know. So I don't know. I mean, if you tell people that, yeah, guess what, we really don't have a ton of money, or people know that you're playing money ball, or you're just trying to skate by, then you know, do all the sharks come out and say, hey, well, why don't you sell me the team, or you know, what's the deal here? Does Don Garber catch wind of that and say, hey, what's going on down here? You know, I just I just have no idea. Yeah. You know, where you would even start with that and then for Jay Sugarman who is putting a decent amount of cash into into, into there there's just not much left over to spend it on the things that they need to spend and I alluded to you know, I spoke on some of those things last night you know they finally got the training facility built you know they had to lose half of their parking lot to do it yeah. you know and again they don't it was just the two grass fields with a fence surrounding it um you know I just I really don't know what the best way to proceed is Jay Sugarman just wanted to buy a sports franchise you know the Phoenix Suns that was a franchise that had been tossed around as a possible purchase for him and I guess the story goes that Nick called him up and say, hey, why don't you invest in, uh, in Philadelphia soccer, you know? And, and Nick, how how was Nick at the time supposed to know that, you know, his majority owner, his partner's stock was going to fall that far, you know? Mm,
1: yeah, Certainly some things that were unforeseen. But, you know, I, I, for a lot of fans now, it's about the handling of the situation. And, again, mm-hmm. some of those comments. And I'll come to – I asked specifically, uh, Nick, uh, asked him specifically about the protest – um, that was held. My understanding is outside the stadium. Obviously, the, the the part that stands out for a lot of people is that there was a coffin. And uh, Nick was specifically targeted as part of the problem there. And his uh, his history at MLS with the, the Metro Stars and down in Florida was mentioned. And rather than, you know, rather than express some understanding with the frustration, his immediate response was that it was uh, ill thought of. And I, I think what he meant was that it was ill-conceived. Um, right. And that it drives a wedge between the players and the fans. Kevin, your response to those comments?
4: There's a couple of different things here because, first off, the, the front office released a preemptive statement um, while this protest was going on. There was sort of like two lines, and it said, we agree wholeheartedly with the sons of Ben and the fans that they deserve better, and we're working hard to remedy that situation, right? That was the first little statement that came out, two sentences. And then they sort of backtracked on that. They didn't backtrack on it, but they elaborated on that later. And they put out a statement where they said, you know, Nick was quoted in, in some, you know, ways saying, you know, now it's not the time to point fingers at me. You know, we all need to be in this together and we all need to focus. And, you know, he said, you know, he, he tried to reiterate that it was a small group of fans that, you know, did the coffin thing and, you know, took it too far or whatever. Um, I, I don't. I, I guess he just took the coffin thing personally uh, you know, seeing his name, you know, inside of the, the casket or whatever and I, I don't know. The only thing that I can really think of is you know, Nick is a cancer survivor, that's been documented. You know, that was part of the Sons of Bed movie, his whole story from four or five years ago when they got this thing off the ground. Maybe he saw that and thought it was it was a personal hit or that was too far or something like that. But again, that wasn't that wasn't really specified. You know, he just said the fans, he was ill-conceived, it was ill-thought-of or whatever. After they had released this statement that said they agreed with the message that the fans were sending to the front office, which was, we deserve better. Yeah, that's what was painted on the side of the casket. Sure, so, sure. you know, again, kind of mixed messages here. I think I get where, I think I understand where he was coming from, but that yes. wasn't explicitly well, stated.
1: Again, and we we're, we're, I think that if you if you look into it, and I, and I know I went over to the brotherly game and and uh, saw and read their write up of his comments, and uh, they had an update that the the this team had issued a statement that said they were talking specifically about the people that held up the coffin, not necessarily the right. entire group of of fans. Um, if that is. You know, if it's a matter of Nick Niksikiewicz thinking that that is in poor taste and that hitting him in a certain soft spot, I get that. But maybe explain that or maybe, um, you know, again, the the problem is that he's in a position, very public position as a leader of this club where he almost has to bend over backwards to show that he understands the fans' frustration and can't really show any of his own. I mean, that's unfortunate that that's where he is, Kevin. But when you're that guy and when your team's not winning – You kind of can't be the jerk you have to be
4: right let me let me let me me, me say this jason i think i think you kind of hit it right there is it i just don't think that nick right now is speaking a language that the fans understand here you know you just can't make comments like you know rice and bully played in a little tournament in brazil you know (laughs) or you can't say that was a very very good business decision you know it's 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 this perceived defiance you know, in the wake of evidence that shows that the team really hasn't done much over the last couple years. They really haven't achieved anything. They haven't been back to the playoffs. There's no investment around the stadium. You know, there's nothing really going on down there, you know, and for him to sort of, sort of sit up there and try to be defiant and kind of defend Jay Sugarman, which he has to do. I understand that and defend his ownership group. People just aren't going to respond to that, especially not people in Philadelphia, you know, and they just don't he's not speaking the same language as them. They're not on the same wavelength with him. A little bit of humility and a little bit of admission that, yeah, we're a little behind on some things here. That goes a lot further in improving your relationship with the fan base than trying to tell them that, yeah, things are all right because they aren't all right. Everybody knows that they're not all right. So you can try to fluff them and you can try to do that and then, and, you know, take that road and make that your strategy, or you can just be honest with them a little bit and say, hey, look, we are hurting a little bit in the money department, which they did. They did say that in November. They said that at the press conference in November. I had it sitting right in front of me. Jay Sugarman said, we're not going to have the same amount of resources as everybody else does, but you're yeah. stuck with me. I put $100 million into the franchise. That's $20 million per year divided over five years. We're going to put money into youth development because Richie Graham has a lot of money. YSC is a cash cow. They make a ton of money up there so a little bit of just telling people how it is, people will respond a lot better to that than sort of these comments that are per- perceived as snarky or snide.
1: Yeah, well, there's also the, the, you know, speaking directly to youth development, and he mentioned Zach Pfeffer, you, you know, within Philadelphia Union fan circles, you know, people will say, well, okay, so there's one guy uh, you've had, you know, you had two players come through the you know what I'm saying? Like this, perhaps Nick may be selling the youth development success a little harder than it should be sold.
4: They've had one success story, Jason, in the homegrown. You know, um, out of all their homegrown players, they've had they've only ever had three of them. Zach Pfeffer was signed in 2010. It took five and a half years for him to get on the field and see legitimate minutes. You know, they loaned him out to Hoffenheim. You know, he played with Harrisburg. He sat on the bench. Uh, Jimmy McLaughlin has been around for four and a half years. He still hasn't played meaningful minutes at all. Christian Hernandez pieced out because he knew that there was no future for him here. You know, they had guys who came through the system like. Zach Steffen, you know, who went to Europe, so basically, you know, he wasn't going to play here. Uh, Danny Barbier is another local guy. I think he's with Manchester City or West Brom or something like that now. They are putting a lot of money into the academy. They have some good players in there, Sebastian Elmi, Andrew Verde, some guys that they could sign now. Tommy Wilson, I think the coaches are doing a good job up there. But again, this entire graduating class at the academy, this year they all went to college. And that's fine if you have plans for them in the future, but that's the whole point, is that you've got to get it. There's no link right now from the academy to the first team. So you can say you're putting all this money into it and you're investing everything in it, but until those guys get on the field it doesn't matter. And the cold hard facts is that the cold hard fact is that Zach Pfeffer is the only homegrown, the only local product in the history of this franchise who who has gone through that, that route and, and got significant minutes on the field
1: the i i am fully aware um and i'm sure you are too that the people that are vocal online in any for any particular interest uh in this case being the union are only a small portion of the the, the wider fan base and don't necessarily represent everybody and and, right. and i think it is telling that there's a lot of discussion right now as to what to do for union fans the protest is fine and well and it sends a message even if Sakevich says we didn't necessarily get it, or he, he expresses uh, some issues with the way it was presented, I think it sends a message. But the only real way to send a clearer message is to not go. And, and that's a tough ask, Kevin, to ask mm-hmm. Philly fan, or Philadelphia Union fans to stop going, to so, stop supporting their team, especially those people who were there from the beginning with the Sons of Ben or, or have been members of the Sons of Ben and uh, you know value that legacy. I don't know what happens next.
4: Yeah, it's that's been the most that's been the biggest point of contention, you know, internally among the sons of Ben and also externally among other fans who care enough to sort of, you know, want to play a role in that kind of thing. You know, again the protests that they did a couple weeks ago, they said, Well, we're not we're not gonna carry it inside the stadium out of respect for Jim Curtin and the team and we don't wanna have any of that imagery, any of those displays going on inside. Okay, they were split on that. I mean, that was a management decision. There's a lot of people who said, Hey, let's carry this thing in here too. You know, this is a young fan base. This is a burgeoning young fan base that also has some Delaware County families and some suburban people who are who are atypical of um you know the Philadelphia sporting sporting culture. I mean this is this is new. They sort of have to learn this on the fly. I mean they didn't want nobody wanted to be in this position six years into the franchise, but that's where they are right now. So, you know, again, you know, Jonathan Tannewald and you know, myself, other people can sit here and say whatever we want to say. But, it, again, it doesn't it doesn't matter. You can't look to it towards the media, you know, as leading you on this kind of thing because it's not really our job, you know, in the first place. And, and rants like the one that <laughs> that I went on last night, those are rare. And, again, the, you know, a lot of people don't usually do that. and usually comes back to bite you in the butt or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, the fans are going to have to decide this on their own. And they're going to have to say, look, are we willing to shelve, you know, our enjoyment of going down here and having what is a good game day experience in a great stadium? You know, if if we want change, you know, then maybe that's what's going to have to happen. Yeah. And you know, they're going to have to decide that among themselves. There's nothing that you you can say. There's nothing I can say. There's nothing that J T can say. Right? Yeah, they got to they got to figure that out on their own.
1: Let's just briefly here before I let you go, Kevin. Since you since you've touched on it, let's let's hit the let's pull the curtain back a little bit on the on the relationship um, between the media and MLS teams. Even 20 years in, this is not a situation. Um, you know, not everybody can be Stephen Goff who can pretty much mm-hmm. say what he wants and get away with it because he's excellent and because they know he, they need his coverage. Um, there have been many situations in the past where MLS teams have essentially turned their back on people who they don't think did them right. And not that's not just internally, and Chris Bianchi is a mm-hmm. famous example. That's also externally. Um, and, and, you know, there are very few people, uh, very few journalists who have the sort of pull because of their outlet or because of their name that can just... Let fly with the truth, uh, for lack of a better way. We, we try to get it out there the best way we can. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I know that I'm probably never going to have another Philadelphia Union uh, executive and maybe never a player again on my mm-hmm. show because essentially, you know, we gave Nick Sakevich an opportunity to come in and make himself look terrible. I mean, that's what happened. Um, and, and now the fallout is going to bring... Um, you know, their anger to bear on probably on my program. I, I don't know how. I hope not on anybody else's program. I hope I'll take that, but I'll take that bullet because I'd rather it be out there. And 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 I hope that you know, I hope that the team understands that this kind of stuff comes with the territory. And if you can't handle it, you shouldn't be involved in this business. But we know that's not the case. I, I, and therefore, I think there's this. Uh, people should understand that there's a, this internal um fight that we have on a daily basis with ourselves as to what we should say and shouldn't say. And it's not that we don't want to get the truth out. It's not that we don't want to cover the team in an unbiased Mm -hmm. manner, but you, you may risk being able to do your job in the future and get more truth. If you let fly with it all.
4: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because it's a topic that, you know, I think we wrestle with every day and, and look, let's, let's be honest. The, the media core, you know, people who report and report on MLS, write about MLS, we're, we're growing in the same way that the league is growing. Right. You know, we have to learn, we have to learn and adapt as the league gets bigger and better. Now, I'm going to say something that the fans probably don't want to hear, but this is the absolute truth, is that all of us, I can say at least on the local level, I don't know about the national level, but all of us who report and write about MLS, we all share a secondary responsibility, whether we like it or not, to help the sport grow in this country and to help the league grow in this country. And, Philadelphia is the perfect example of that because, you know, I could write everything about the Philadelphia Union. I could, you know, talk about this, talk about that. We're trying to get as much attention for the Philadelphia Union in Philadelphia as we can, you know, in a, in a town that's dominated by the Eagles, the Phillies, and to a certain extent now what's going on with the Sixers and the Flyers. You know, our careers and our well being of everybody who's involved in the soccer community in Philadelphia is tied into the popularity of the team and the success of the team. So, in a way, we have this auxiliary responsibility to kind of help push that along and to help grow that. Now, I don't think that that affects the way that you write about the team or, you know, you know your coverage or whatever. Obviously, it's a small world. You know, we know everybody. We know the coaches. We know the players. We know the front office people. And there's there's a lot of collusion. You know, people work together to get news out there and to to make things higher profile. But you know, it's also makes it a lot more difficult. Yeah. You know, than the than the sixty seventy five people who are down at the Care complex covering the Eagles every week. You know, yeah, right. <laughs> so we have to walk the line a lot more than anybody else does. We do have this other responsibility to, to try to help grow the game, to try to grow Major League Soccer. But I don't think that makes you sell out. I don't think that makes you a PR person. It's just something that's that, that comes with the territory. Mm-hmm. And you know, in a case like this, you know, everybody knows I used to work for the Philadelphia Union, and that's where you know I made my name before I started work. You know, doing the stuff for CBS. You know, as I was writing articles for PhiladelphiaUnion.com, you know, and then when I stopped working for them, you know, I, I took the independent route and I've been doing it for our website. So, you know, there, I didn't really skip a beat, I don't think. I don't think anybody still sits there and says, well, he's still a homer because he was a former employee. Right. You know, I think Kareem Gabriel would tell you the same thing. Yep. You know, there's a, a lot of those kinds of situations. Dave Eitlin, you know, Pablo, all the guys who write for MLSsoccer.com, you can't tell me that they're not good writers and they don't put content out there. It's just, you know, that's who they work for. So be it. You can put good content out there. It doesn't matter who your affiliation is.
1: Yeah, it's it, it is a, it's it's a tricky situation. It's part of the growth, as you said. It's all of us being part of um, you know trying to make soccer bigger and better in this country, while also balancing out uh, again those um, you know those responsibilities. I, I don't know. And, and as you said, it can be it can be incredibly it can be incredibly awkward when you when you go to the park every week and you see those people every week. And I think MLS has had a tradition. And this is. Um, Maybe still true in some places, abiding the hand that feeds them when it comes to coverage. And they need to get over that, and uh, people need to be able to to do their jobs uh, in the most. forthcoming manner possible kevin kincai we could talk all day kevin thank you so much for joining me uh if you haven't seen what kevin put out on twitter we we covered most of it uh, i put a Storyfy uh, thread together it's uh it's on my twitter feed at davis jsn we'll send that out again uh kareeth Gar- gabriel is also somebody you should go and check out because he as kevin said used to work for the team and has some pointed commentary as well kevin uh thank you so much man kevin k cbs3 on twitter
4: all right, Chase. The man. There you
1: Thanks. go. Uh, good stuff from from I mean, again, we could do that all day. We could do media and MLS and the relationship and and how these teams are run and how they respond and all of these things all day, and I would have fun. But we're not going to do it. We're going to take phone calls. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning, and the phone lines are open for about the next 10 minutes or so. 646-832-3909. Maybe you have thoughts on the Philadelphia Union debacle. Maybe you have Copa America thoughts. Maybe you have women's national team thoughts ahead of that semifinal tonight against Germany. Biggest game in the history of the world, pretty much. They're going to make a final. They're going to have to figure out a way to beat Germany, obviously. Captain Obvious over here. Uh, what uh, kind of lineup changes does J- Jill Ellis make? I mean, again, you played your best game without Megan Rapino, without Lauren Holiday. And now they're coming back, and you have to figure it out. And you started Amy Rodriguez and, and Alex Morgan, not Abby Wambach. Is Abby Wombach going to come back into the team? Her, her, the vowels in her name throw me off. I say Abby sometimes. I say Abby. I say Wambach Wombach. <laughs> what did I call her? I think on the best soccer show I called her Wabby Ombach because I just can't can't get it right. Six four six eight three two three nine zero nine. If you're calling in, if you're calling in through the old number, you got to stop doing that. You got to call in through the to the new number six four six eight three two three nine zero nine. Uh we will have a we will have a full podcast of this show, obviously, if anybody's listening now that missed uh missed Kevin Kincaid, because I know that's a, that's something out there. Um uh, we've got US Open Cup tonight. I filled out my bracket, I tweeted it out. Do a bracket yourself, it's fun. We've got a US Open Cup tomorrow. We're in the fifth round. Quarterfinals are July twenty first and twenty second, so about three weeks away. And there's a story by Stephen Goff of the Washington Post, about some potential conflicts that MLS teams have with those dates. Why do they have conflicts? Uh, Because they're playing international friendlies. The Red Bulls have a July 22nd game against against Chelsea scheduled. The Galaxy have a July 21st game against Barcelona scheduled. The Earthquakes have a July 21st game against Manchester United scheduled. What happens with those games? I'm going to come back to this. Rick in Philly. It's been a little while, Rick.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Jason. Work's been crazy. I'm actually out in San Diego right now, and I set my alarm after Kevin went off last night just on the off chance that he would have him on, and I was uh, rewarded, so yeah, thank you for that.
1: Yeah, yeah. What, did you, what do you make of... of what do you make of what, did you see, did you hear what Sakevich said? Were you had an opportunity to check that out? Oh, like oh,
0: abs- oh absolutely, absolutely. You know, the, the problem with Sakevich is, I mean, he's an experienced businessman, and he goes on general media in Philadelphia or general sports media in Philadelphia every once in a while, and he can talk to them, and they don't understand the issues fundamentally, or they don't want to invest the time to actually dig into it, or, you know, they have financial interests to deal with. So they they don't follow up, they don't expose him for actually giving the nonsense that he does. And I think that's why Kevin snapping last night and you following up today is so great because, I mean, I'm speaking as a person who has had Nick Sikiewicz lie to his face repeatedly. I mean, one-on-one, flat-out lie, yeah, uh, provably. And the thing is, he's not a dumb guy. There's a lot of fans who will portray him as an idiot. He's not a great, you know, Technical director, but he's not a dumb guy, and he knows how to present himself. And I think when he has to deal with soccer media that actually are knowledgeable, that's where you know the emperor has no clothes oh. because they can ask a follow-up question. Sure, but you know, at the end, it, it's great. It's you know, great Schadenfreude and all that. He looks dumb, and you know, we can all oh yeah, we can all get worked up again. But I, I just don't know where the end game is. I mean, I was at I was at the tailgate for the Union match on Saturday night. And I mean, it was pouring rain. We had thunder and lightning coming in. We had, you know, wind blowing in sideways, and and the tailgate area was still full.
1: Yeah,
0: I mean, that, that's so the thing. I think. What, what's I think, the effect? What, how, what is the end game of all this? I, right, I don't know. But right. That's what that's what frustrates me.
1: Yeah, I I'm, I'm, I understand, Rick. I mean, I think that it's a it's an odd place for a fan to be to know that the only way you're going to affect any change is to have. Uh, people, you know, people vote with their feet, for lack of a better phrase, and yet that means you want your stadium to be empty and your fan and your and your team to have no support, and that's not what that's not how fans think. We want to support our team. We want to be out there. We want them to know we're behind them, and it's not their fault. And and, and you know, et cetera, and so forth. And how do you how do you figure out the balance of that? Well, no, I mean, that, that's the thing. When you say that you're a supporter, what is a supporter who does not actively support the team? You,
0: it's your whole sense of identity in that way. So if you're not in the stadium, if you're perceived as not supporting them, then that sense of identity goes away. I mean, I always justify it by saying I support this platonic ideal of the team, and the team has yet to reach it. But you know, I'm a little more philosophic. I think than yeah. some people. Rick, but no, it, it, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. I yeah. do know that the Galaxy and the Red Bulls should have to forfeit Open
1: Cup games <laughs> because of their scheduling conflicts. Rick, I got a ton of calls. I got to move on. I Appreciate it. It's good to hear Absolutely. from you. All right, there goes uh, Rick in Philly, who's actually in San Diego. Let's go to our friend Auntie in Finland. What's up, Auntie? Hey, Jason.
2: I was wondering if you saw this article yesterday, where it was uh, about this uh, youth club crossfire that is petitioning
1: uh, FIFA yeah. for for the we um, uh, the, the fees. We um, I, I put it in the headlines in this morning. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I put it in the headlines this morning, so I mentioned it at the top of the show. We haven't yes. gone in depth because of the the schedule, the guests that we had scheduled. I do have a I do have Leave yep. You Bird lined up to talk to me on the Sirius XM show today. Uh, if that, if you don't get Sirius XM and, and you're upset that you're not going to hear that interview, I'm sorry. We will try to find another way to cover it on the web show, I promise. We'll come back around to it on the free show as well, probably tomorrow. And In fact, uh, as I mentioned, Jorge uh, Arangue wrote it up for Vice Sports as well. So there's, there's multiple angles of, of this, multiple people in the know. We've had Michael Wheeler, who is a FIFA-accredited um, agent, on this program more than a year ago to talk about the issue of um, of solidarity payments and training compensation. So we've been covering it. I want to hit it on hit on it again. Yeah. Clearly, this is high profile, Antti.
2: Yeah, uh, just what I wanted to cl- clarify because uh, on Reddit uh, the conversation went went to the direction that if you're a pay to play club, uh, you don't deserve that. And I went and did some research on Finnish. Uh, Finnish uh, youth clubs, uh, those that are uh, that have like uh, top-flight uh, teams, and then youth systems and uh, independent youth clubs, and the the price of none of them are free. Right. All of them cost yeah. money. Uh, starting at one of the lowest was uh, 495 euros uh, a year, yeah. and that's the minimum. And and then it goes up from there, depending on 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 the on the how many traveling trips.
1: It's interesting happening. There's, there's, I mean, distant, like, we, we, distant, uh, obviously, nobody's holding up Finland as a footballing hotbed, Antti, No offense, but it is interesting to note because I think people assume that the United States is the only place where pay to play is a thing, and that's probably not true. I haven't gone and yeah. done the research, but you're giving us an example right here, Antti, I have to move on. You have a, anything else before I go?
2: Uh, just that BBC also ran an article that said that youth uh, football participation is going down in England because the costs are so prohibitive.
1: Okay. Yep, there you go. Appreciate the call, Anthony. Appreciate it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Some context on that is is fascinating. Now, the, Again, the issue of whether or not uh, Crossfire deserves a solidarity payment in spite of being paid to play is an open question. JT in Jersey, what's up?
2: What's up? Uh, I'm just I'm frustrated with the Philadelphia Union.
1: Yeah, you don't say. <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, I can tell right now. Sitting at home last night, actually sitting at work, and while reading Kevin Kincaid, I was loving it. I was absolutely loving it. Yeah, but that's it the, but awesome. isn't
1: that the, like isn't that got to be a conf, a, complica- a complicated, convoluted sort of feeling, JT? You're basically happy that somebody is ripping your team, and yeah, you want that exposed for what it is. But it's also a bad thing to have happen to your team. You know what I mean? Like it, you don't want it to be that way.
2: Yeah, no, you don't. You don't want it at that stage. But it came to that point where he, he, you know, he said he read what you and uh, Sakowitz talked about yesterday, and he was going to wait till this morning, but he couldn't, and he just went off. And it was good to read. It, yeah. it was mine. It was opening, eye opening. Mm-hmm.
1: I do think that it, in terms of having the fans be more educated as to what's going on within the club, it was it it has incredible value there. The question is what the fans do with that information, JT. Yeah, I
2: don't that's that's another whole other thing that <laughs> you gotta figure
1: out first. Alright. I I gotta move on. You got anything else? Uh no. I appreciate just, the uh, call. Women's national team's gonna win uh, one right. nothing tonight. One it. nothing over Germany. You heard it here first, JT in Philly. Uh in New, New Jersey, excuse me, getting in on it. I'm sure he's uh, just over the river there. Daniel, down in the ATL, what's uh, what's going on, my friend?
0: Hey, what's going on? Philly needs needs to do better, and uh, I think Anchor should buy him.
1: But that okay. But now you're dealing with again. We've already had you know we tried to have these these multiple club owners divest themselves of all but one club. We got we finally got to a place where the Hunts now only have one team. Anschutz has half of, half of the Dynamo and, and, the, and the Galaxy, and I still don't like that. He's not stepping in to buy the, the union. We're not in 2000. It's not 2001 anymore. It's not about saving the league. This, should, this team should—it's it, either going to flail forever, and you'll see that attendance drops to, to nothing, and somebody will have to do something about it. The league will have to step in, or they'll sell it. But I don't know that it's worth—I don't know how much it's worth right now. That's part of the question. It's worth
0: it's worth pennies. I'm not a Philly pennies. Fan, but this whole situation <laughs> is just ridiculous,
1: you know. Yeah. Uh, hey, look every every league in the world, Daniel. You got anything else before I let you go? Because you got to move on.
0: Um, I love LA. LA's not going to forfeit any matches. And uh, wait, wait, wait. So ago. wait,
1: are they going to play? Are they going to play? They're going to play that. They're going to beat the the Quakes in the Open Cup, and then they're going to like move their move their International Champions Cup date or what? They're gonna move it, dude. They're gonna move the wait. They're gonna move the, the friendly, or they're gonna move the open cup match. No, they're gonna move the friendly because Bruce Arena loves open cup. was <laughs> a mic drop moment from Daniel and ATL? Thanks for the call, man. Uh, you know, the, with the Philadelphia Union, every league has its stragglers. Every league has its poor clubs, poorly run clubs, less rich clubs that can't compete. There has to be bottom feeders you can't everybody can't be perfectly run that's just never going to happen even in mls which is single entity just a question of whether or not philadelphia should be that team or if they have the tools and the wherewithal to get back to a place of respectability and that's what we're going to be watching now and is this a wake-up call something going to happen in philly with all of this fallout i don't know Go to backheel.com slash store and buy yourself a soccer morning mug. Support the show that way. 3 FCcom Get you a t shirt. Beautiful stuff over there at that website. Dan does amazing work. Give us a rating and a review on iTunes. Check out the SiriusXM XM show if you have a Serious XM subscription. If you don't, consider getting one. It's a great two hours. We will talk to you over there, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Peace.
2: Don't you know?
0: I just wanna say,
3: you'll be
2: fine